13 or 14. Um, and just a lot of wrong decisions kind of led her down a path of despair and many near-death experiences. But um, as Mary Catherine just started loving her um, like Christ, and she brought us, she brought her um, to us. And so Elisa was always welcome wherever we went and always welcome in our dorm. And um, as we continued just to love her and the leaders that came as outreach really ministered to her, um, she decided that the life that she was living just, she saw that it was um, just, it just left her feeling empty inside. And then she saw what a life, you know, belonging to Christ really looked like. And uh, me, Mary Catherine, and my other roommates were actually at the beach one day. And um, Elisa texted Mary Catherine and told her that she had decided, you know, to follow Christ. And um, we all just, we started crying then. And we just kind of grouped together and huddled up and just prayed. And, um, thank God for what he did in Elisa's life. And so about two months later, I asked her if I could write a song about her and her story. And she was very excited that I wanted to do that. And um, I kind of wanted to put her own words and thoughts into the song. And um, so I asked her, you know, what she would want to say about her transformation. And um, she said stuff like, you know, that she realized that the life she was living was, you know, ultimately going lead, lead to lead to death. And, um, and then she realized, you know, that now that she has Christ, that she has a life worth living for and that she can be fulfilled in him and the relationship she's going to build with true Christians. And um, as I thought more about her, her story, just the word purified came to my mind, you know, that no matter how many wrong decisions um, or hurt that she had been through, like all of that is washed clean, you know, and that she is justified and she is redeemed just like I am. And, um so that's where this song came from, so I hope y'all enjoy it. Drowning in all my shame, I've made mistakes. I'm searching, I'm reaching out, I'm done playing games. Find me. Shattered and pieces all alone, but 
Beautiful song. Thank you very much. Uh, that's awesome, the way that you're able to build those relationships. That's such a great example of what these college guys have been doing the past couple years now, uh, building relationships in the place where God has them, proclaiming the gospel, and this is the fruit we get to see of that. So that is wonderful. And that song, that was really the gospel preached. I could really sit down right now, but I'm a lawyer with a microphone, so you know that's not going to happen. <laughs> Well, the last time I preached, we talked about hope, and my goal was to instruct you about hope so that you could find comfort and peace in the midst of your trials. I wanted you to see biblical hope as a defense, as a shield against the many emotions you may feel while going through the trials you're going through. Um, But today, I want you to see that hope is not only a fortress, but it's also a motivation for us to live our lives for the sake of the gospel. And we're actually going to look at how faith and hope compel us to live lives of love 
and community. So turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 is where we're going to be. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it today. There's always the scriptures that we're going to be talking about will be up on the screen behind me as well. So let's read that together. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what I want, what I want to look at today in this text, we see three invitations from the author of Hebrews here. Right? We see him inviting us to draw near to God. He says, let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast to hope. And let us stir up one another to love and to good deeds. And so we're going to look at those three invitations today and, and kind of unpack what those mean. So the first one is, let us draw near. He tells us to draw near to God. And first of all, I want to note just how, what an amazing statement this is. That invitation right there, let us draw near to God, is really the core of Christianity summarized in just a few words. Right? Implicit within this invitation is the idea that we as human beings are actually supposed to be near to God. We're actually supposed to be in relationship with God. You see, you were created in the image of God to be in relationship with God, to glorify and enjoy God forever. That's your purpose. That's why you're here. However, God's creation has been marred by the sinfulness of man. And according to Scripture, our sin separates us from God. No sin can be in the presence of our holy and righteous God. And in fact, sin's penalty is death and eternal separation from God. So right away we see a problem with this invitation from the author of Hebrews to draw near to God. Right? How is this possible if we are separated from God? Well, if you notice as we read there, that's why the author of Hebrews, he prefaces his invitation to draw near to God with some reasons as to why we as sinners can have confidence to draw near to our holy and righteous Father. He says we have confidence to draw near, to come into the holy places, he says, by the blood of Jesus, by the way that Jesus opened for us through the curtain, and because Jesus is the great priest. Now, I know that many of you who have grown up in the church, you understand what the author of Hebrews is getting at there. You've heard it taught on what this imagery means and all the different things here. But, as, as I think a lot of us have, I've been praying that people who don't know Jesus Christ, who don't follow Him, would be here today to hear this message. I've been praying that people would listen to this recording. And so we're going to take a little time to unpack what that imagery is. I want all of us to gain a fuller understanding and appreciate the beauty of Jesus' sacrifice. So let's see if we can gain that understanding of what the author of Hebrews is getting at when he mentions things like the holy places, blood, the curtain, and high priests. Um, we're going to look at that. And then the first thing that we need to understand is who this book was written to, right? The book of Hebrews, it was a letter written to a group of Jewish Christians back in AD 60 to 70. We don't know exactly who the author is, but that's not incredibly important for us today. 
Um, This letter was written so to Jewish Christians. The Jews, of course, were God's chosen people. And around 1440 B.C., God gave the Jews many laws through Moses, who God had selected as the man to lead the Israelites and speak to them on God's behalf. This is a little fun fact. My mom texted me this morning, let me know she was praying for me. Today is 50 days after Pentecost, and today is the day that the Jews celebrate the law that God gave Moses on, the, on Mount Sinai, which is what we're talking about this morning. So that's, just, that's not really related to this message. I just thought that was interesting that she had texted me that this morning. So, so the Jewish Christians reading the book of Hebrews that, that they were reading here, they would have followed the same laws of God that Moses had followed, and they would have been very familiar with the imagery used by the author of Hebrews here. One of the things that God required of his people under that law was to build a tabernacle, which is kind of what we think of as the church today. The tabernacle was the place where God dwelled among his people and where they would meet with God. And you see, within the tabernacle was something called the holy place, which the author of Hebrews mentions. And within the holy place, there was something called the holy of holies. And you see, to enter the holy of holies was to actually enter into the very presence of God. So we see that when the author of Hebrews mentions the holy places, he is referring to the presence of God. And it's also important to understand that the entrance to the Holy of Holies had a big curtain over it, okay? And the curtain symbolized the separation between God and man on account of man's sinfulness. The curtain was to shield our holy God from man's sinfulness. Habakkuk 1.3 says that God's eyes are pure and that he cannot even look upon wrong. So we see that man had to be separated from the presence of God. And in fact, if anyone improperly entered the Holy of Holies... He was overwhelmed by the presence of God and fell dead. God is righteous, and apart from him, we are not. We cannot be in his presence because of our sin. However, God did permit one man, the high priest, to pass through the curtain into the Holy of Holies. And this high priest, he was the chosen man of God to be the mediator between himself and the Jews. The Jews needed a mediator because they were sinful and they failed to keep the laws of God. And so rather than be separated from his chosen people, God in his mercy and grace included a process by which the people's sin could be covered so that relationship could be maintained between God and man. That's what this whole sacrificial system is about. So that process required the high priest to enter the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. On this day, the high priest would offer to God, he'd come into the Holy of Holies, He would offer to God blood from animals that had been sacrificed on behalf of himself and behalf of all of the Jewish people. And the purpose was to cover the people's sins so that they continue on in relationship with God. Well, why blood? Hebrews 9.22 says, Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So that's kind of a very brief history of the old law and why it was given some of the important aspects and with this history in mind we can better understand what the author of hebrews is getting at when he gives us these three reasons as to why we can enter into the presence of god and you notice in verse 21 back in hebrews chapter 10 um, in verse 21 the author refers to jesus as the great high priest remember as we just talked about the high priest's role under the old law was to be the mediator between god and men so we must think of Jesus as our mediator, okay? First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God 
And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. So the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies on our behalf to mediate for us. He entered into the presence of God to deal with our sin. In verse 19, the author of Hebrews mentions the blood of Jesus. You see, when Jesus entered the Holy of Holies on our behalf, he did so by his own blood. Remember, as we read earlier, forgiveness of sins requires the shedding of blood. And under the old law, the high priest could not enter the presence of God unless he came with the blood of animals that had been sacrificed on behalf of himself and the Jews. The blood covered their sins and the sins of the Jews. However, Jesus took his own blood into the Holy of Holies. This was pure blood. Unlike the high priest before him, Jesus had no sin to be covered. Jesus died the death we deserved and then brought that pure blood into the Holy of Holies as an offering for our sins. Turn back a page in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 14. Chapter 9, verses 12 through 14 The author of Hebrews said he, talking about Jesus, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, in the Holy of Holies, Jesus mediated for us by his own blood an eternal redemption. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. And it's important to understand that Jesus did not enter the man-made Holy of Holies. Okay? He didn't enter the on-earth tabernacle, which contained the Holy of Holies, but the actual heavenly Holy of Holies where God himself sits on the throne. Look in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. The author says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So we see that Jesus entered into heaven itself and bought for us by his own blood redemption. Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Our sins are forgiven. There is no more penalty to be paid on behalf of that. We see in Hebrews 10.20, jumping back to Hebrews 10 now to gain this understanding, um, the author of Hebrews states that Jesus' sacrifice opened a new and living way through the curtain that had once separated God from man. In Matthew 27.51, Scripture tells us that at the moment Jesus died on the cross, the curtain that we talked about that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Well, what's the significance of this? Why is this important? Remember, the curtain was a symbol of the separation between God and man. So, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. The curtain was a symbol of separation between God and man, and because God is... Man, I totally messed up there. I'm sorry, guys. The, the curtain was... A, I, oftentimes I do this because 
I, I prepare this and I write all this out because when I come to church on Sunday morning, I go into our apologetics class and I sit in there and we talk about things like the problem of evil and Chuck is like really bringing some great truth. And I get all wrapped up in that. And then I try and come in here and I preach and I try and get back into this thing and I get distracted. So forgive me of losing my place here. But anyway, so, so it's significant that this curtain was torn in two because the curtain, which is a symbol of separation between God and man, uh, is now no longer, there's, it's no longer needed. Because as we talked about, we have been made righteous in Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice. And now with that curtain torn, Jesus, through his sacrifice, has made a way for us to enter into the holy place, right? The significance is, the author is saying here, we now may enter into the very presence of God, which before Jesus we were not able to do. In Hebrews 10.22, the author says that we have been made clean by the, by the sacrifice of Jesus. This is beautifully summarized in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, this is the message of the gospel. This is what it means to be redeemed. This is why we can confidently draw near to God. Because we have been made pure in Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews is giving us here these three reasons as to why we can do that. And so now we have a little bit better understanding to, to, to know why we can draw near to God. And for those of you who are believers, who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that's why you are able to draw near to God. And guys, we should be doing this daily. This is something that we as Christians, as believers, we have the privilege and the right to enter into the presence of God, to draw near to Him. And as we do that, as we come into God, we got to experience that this morning with worship. But you don't need a worship band to come into the presence of God and worship Him. You come into the presence of God and you praise Him. You thank Him for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You make your requests known to Him. You lay down your worries and your fears, and you become filled with His presence and with His peace so that you can now face this world by faith. That is the importance of drawing near to God and the reason that we can do so. One of the things we do, are doing every Sunday morning at 8 a.m., this pastor search committee, is leading us out in a time of prayer. Guys, what we're doing there. We are drawing near to God as a group of people, asking our Father for wisdom about which way to go. That's all we're doing. That's where we need to start everything we face each and every day by drawing near to God. Each and every decision we have to make, draw near to God. Each and every blessing you receive, draw near to God and ask Him what to do with that. This is where we start. So let us draw near to God by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Let's look at this next one. Let us hold fast to hope. And the author says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And guys, we already dug into hope the last time I preached. I'm not going to dig into this one a whole lot. But just to give you a quick summary, remember that biblical hope is based on the promise of God and the faithful and true nature of God. What God promises, he will do, Right? The world's idea of hope is nothing more than wishful thinking. They wish things would be different. They hope that things will be better in the future, but there's no promise there. R.C. Sproul, he defines hope as a firm conviction that the future promises of God will be fulfilled. Hope is not mere wish projection, but an assurance of what will come to pass. The biblical hope is based on the promise of God. That's what we have as believers. As we draw near to God by our faith, 
we are filled with biblical hope that he's going to fulfill his promise. And what is the future promise of God? It's that we will be resurrected with Jesus Christ. It's that we will be set free one day from the presence of sin and death. It's that our perishable bodies will be exchanged for imperishable ones, which we will receive our eternal reward in. Paul says the pain we experience now is microscopic compared to the glory we will receive on that day. In fact, Paul says there's no comparison at all. So this is reason for us to rejoice. As we hold fast to this hope, this is what we can do. And as we're filled with this biblical hope, we see the world from a different perspective, right? Hope isn't just a shield. It's something that should motivate us to live our lives differently. We're no longer driven by worldly desires. We're no longer driven by um, seeking to get all that we can out of this life. Instead, when we're holding fast to the future promise of God, it frees us to live for our, imper- for our imperishable her- inheritance that is being kept for us in heaven. It frees us to store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth. Right? It frees us to live sacrificial lives for the gospel rather than trying to build our own kingdoms here. We're free to seek the approval of God rather than man. As I was thinking through hope, this is something we didn't talk about last time, as I was thinking through who's a great example of hope in the Bible. And the the example that I thought of was the example of Noah. Now, you guys are all familiar with the story of Noah, right? Um, It's recorded in Genesis 6. Noah had faith in a future promise of God, and it dictated the way he lived his life, right? You guys are familiar with the story. Um, It's in chapter 6, but briefly, Noah says he was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. But Scripture says that the earth had become corrupt in God's sight. It was filled with violence. Uh, God saw that it was corrupt. He saw that everything that moved on the earth was corrupt. And so he said, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So the future promise of God was that he was going to destroy destroy the earth and everything in it. And that's not a great make-you-feel-good future promise of God, is it? But that was the future promise of God that Noah heard and that Noah believed. He was filled with faith that God was going to fulfill this promise. And so then God says, but no, I'm going to spare you because you're the one who I'm going to refill the earth with. And so God tells Noah, build a big boat. Right? Build an ark. You guys know this story. He tells him to build an ark. And Genesis 6.22 says Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Well, why did he do this? He did this because he had faith that God was going to do what he promised. His hope compelled him to live a life fully devoted to the ways of God. Noah understood that he needed to live his life preparing for the fulfillment of God's promise. Right? Do you think Noah looked strange to the world? Here he is building this giant boat, probably in the middle of the desert, right? That's not something that we would normally do. I'm sure people thought he was crazy. He had to devote everything he had to building this boat. And he did this because the promise was going to be fulfilled. Well, that's the same thing that we should look at our lives now, right? Hope should change us. Being filled with the future, with hope, that, with, with faith that God is going to fulfill his future promise should change us. Um, It's something that we should know that we are going to stand before God on that day, on the day of judgment. And even for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we're still going to give account for the manner in which we lived our lives, for the good and the bad that we've done. And so that reality, that truth should affect the way we live now. Being filled with hope should motivate us. It should change us. 
So the author of Hebrews is saying, let us hold fast to hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let's look at this. Let us stir up one another. Uh, This is the last point here. Let us stir up one another. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, the author of Hebrews writes, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So our hope and our faith, the author is saying here, should compel us to lives of love. As we draw near to God by our faith in Jesus Christ, and as we hold fast to God's future promise, we should be motivated to love and good works. We should be motivated to live lives of service for the sake of the gospel. We should be motivated to love God with all our hearts and to love others as Jesus loved them. This is the outflow of faith and hope. Okay, As you have faith in Jesus Christ and as you're filled with hope, with faith of the future promise of God, that should result in acts of love and good service and community. That's kind of what the author of Hebrews is setting up here. I want us to look at this idea of, of the author of Hebrews, he says, to consider how to stir up one another. Have you spent any time lately considering how to stir up someone else to love and good works? Have you spent any time thinking about how you might be able to encourage another brother or sister in Christ to live their lives in a way of love and of good works? Do you know anyone that perhaps hasn't been engaging in love and good works lately? We all have a responsibility to consider how we can encourage one another. Now, Jenny Mertz isn't here today, and I didn't tell her I was going to share this story, but I'm sure she won't mind. Jenny Mertz encouraged Megan and I to love and good works a couple weeks ago. You guys know we're meeting at 8 a.m. Pastor Search Committee is meeting to pray. And as Megan and I were walking into Sunday school one day, Jenny Mertz said, Seth, you're an elder. Why aren't you coming to the prayer time for the Pastor Search Committee? I said, wow, Jenny, I I really don't have a good reason. I just have been enjoying sleeping in, honestly. She said, I'll be there next week. But it was such a, a beautiful, simple, humble way. She just said, hey, why aren't you there? Jenny encouraged Megan and I to, to engage in some good works, to engage in acts of love where we could come together with our body. And really what Jenny was doing, she was encouraging Megan and I to draw near to God. Because she was saying, hey, why don't you come pray with us? Why don't you just come join in this group where we're drawing near to our Father and asking Him for help? It was a beautiful, simple little thing. So that's one of the things, though, I think the author of Hebrews is saying here. We need to consider, we need to think about how can we encourage one another to love and good works. Um, and the last thing out of this, this passage here that, that the author of Hebrews is telling us, he's telling us to meet together. You see, in order to encourage one another, you must be together. This is a vital part of our faith, is being together, being in community. And Sundays here are wonderful. This is great. But if you'll notice, as you come here and you sit in these pews, I'm the only one talking, right? So it's easy if you just come to Sunday morning church. That's wonderful. It's great. But it is easy for you to come and to sit here in these chairs and to walk out without being in any actual deep relationship. And so what I want to encourage you guys is to get into relationship with one another. You must spend time with others. You must make yourself available to encourage others, but also to receive encouragement. And and honestly, guys, at times this is hard. This is difficult to do. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice. And for some of you, it will feel kind of awful because you just don't like people. There are some of you that that are incredibly introverted and you'd rather not be around people if if we're being honest. I mean, that's and that's real. That's not to 
Not to say, hey, you shouldn't feel like that. But if you do feel like that, that's not an excuse for you to stay unengaged. It's not an excuse for you to stay unplugged. You have got to get yourself into relationships where you will be challenged and where you will be held accountable and you will be prayed for and you will be encouraged. Okay? That's an important part of our faith. This is the last verse we'll look at. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. Um, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. We often think about always getting outside these walls, and I love being a part of Gateway because as you saw, this, we're about to have a mission lunch where we're going to get together and hopefully raise some money for our youth group to go to Haiti and go take the gospel out to people who don't know Jesus Christ. But Galatians 6 here, Paul's saying, we need to be doing good to one another, too. Right? Scripture also says that they will know we're Christians by our love for one another. So, you guys, we've got to be in relationship. And if you're isolated, if you're closed off from others, I encourage you to get in relationship with some other believers. Okay? If it's just lunch, if it's coffee, whatever it is, get in relationship. Maybe some of you have held back from starting a life group or a small group in your home. Think about that. Pray about that. Are you ones that you could consider how... You could bring other people together and encourage them and encourage them to love and to good works and to community. That's something we all need to consider. Don't wait on that. So, so in closing here, I just want you guys to think about how we're told to draw near. It's done through the work of Jesus Christ. Have faith. Okay? Have faith in Jesus Christ and his work. Draw near to God. We're told to hold fast to the hope in an unwavering fashion. Jesus Christ is going to return. That is a promise of God that you should be filled with faith about. That is going to happen, and we should adjust our lives accordingly. And as we stand in this faith and as we look to this future promise of God, it should compel us today to live lives of love, to do good works, to live lives of community. Okay? So I just wanted to encourage you guys with that that day. And if you're here today and you've not heard the gospel, you don't know Jesus Christ Please come talk to me about that. If you have any, anything in your mind, any questions in your mind about any of this, please come talk to me about that. Or anyone here, we would love to do that. Um, and let's close with prayer here. And as, as the praise band comes, we're going to sing this last song. And our friends Ray and Amy are back with us today. So if you guys would come up, this is like for real, for real going to be their last Sunday. I know we've prayed over you guys before. But if you guys would come up and we're just going to pray on you. They're getting ready to go to Spain and, uh, and to be over there for a couple years. So happy to have you guys with us. But uh, let me pray, and then we will close out with this last song. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much to come into your presence. We thank you that you invite us to draw near and that you have made that possible, Lord, by, by the work of Jesus Christ. And it's only by Jesus Christ that we can do that, Lord. We thank you for making that sacrifice. We thank you for the hope that you fill us with. And, Lord, I just pray for each one of us that as we are filled with this faith and hope, that we would then turn and, and serve one another and serve this world with acts of love and good deeds. We just need you in that, Father. So as we sing this last song, Lord, I pray that you would just cause us to draw near to you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.